Welcome to Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio, hosted by Josh Cantwell and Kyle Gariffo. Strategic Real Estate Coach is where the nation's leading real estate investors, brokers, and agents turn to transform the way the real estate business is being done in neighborhoods across the nation. If you desire to make more money, do more deals, grow your passive income, and build the lifestyle you've always wanted, you need Strategic Real Estate Coach. This powerhouse team is led by Josh Cantwell, a seasoned investor with nearly a decade of experience over 700 transactions and over 5.5 million in fundraising generated for himself and his partners. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business with Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio. So everybody, hey, welcome back to Strategic Real Estate Coach Podcast. This is Josh Cantwell, the CEO at Freeland Ventures and Strategic Real Estate Coach, the nation's number one real estate investment coaching company. And I'm excited to be back with all of you on another interview. And I've got with me today my good friend, Tim Bratz. Tim is a is, uh, you know, 10-year real estate investor uh, and today focused primarily on value-add apartments. And uh, just this year, uh, really in the last 12 months, Tim has added, uh, I don't even know what the number is now, but it's over 1,000, over 1,000 doors, 1,000 units to his uh, apartment portfolio. And we've even partnered with Tim on a couple of his deals, uh, funding some of the equity, funding some of the deals with him. So a uh, relatively new relationship. Tim and I have actually known of each other for a number of years. We actually share a couple of attorneys that we use. Uh, but Tim and I actually just really gotten to know each other in the last 12 months or so. And really a fun, very fun, cool relationship. Uh, Tim's a blast. So Tim, welcome, welcome aboard. How are you today? Josh, doing awesome, man. Excited to be here. Really appreciate you having me, brother. Absolutely. So, Tim, I gave you a you know, really quick foundation, a little bit of background, a little bit of color around you. So, just give us another 30 seconds to a minute about kind of where you're at today. Can Tell us a little bit about your investing business, what's your focus, and kind of why you're focused on that strategy. Yeah, I, I own a real estate investment company that exclusively focuses on apartment buildings. So we own uh, 1,400 units in Ohio, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Texas right now is where our current properties are. And um, we have another uh, over 1,400 units under contract. So we're actually going to double our portfolio in the next five months by the end of the first quarter of 2019. So um, a lot of good stuff in the works. I was pretty bad at real estate for the first seven years, got really good at it the past three years. And uh, I think that's how a lot of stuff plays out. So um, we, we like apartment buildings. I've done everything in the residential realm. I've done everything from, you know, high-end flips, low-end flips, turnkey uh, offerings. I uh, started a property management company. Uh, I flipped land. And um, I, for me personally, I always had the best returns and the best processes and uh, for business and the most scalability in apartments. And so that's why I really like apartments. So that's why we've doubled down on apartments. We're not doing anything other than apartments right now. And, um, and that's going to be our focus for at least the next 24 months. And then if the market shifts, maybe we'll, we'll take a look at some other stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So Tim, what's, what's the, maybe the one or two things that, you know, led you to apartments? What was, why did that become the focus after doing all the residential stuff you've done, the turnkey, the fix and flips, the rental portfolio with single family, multifamily? When did the light bulb go off for you on apartments and why did that become your, your focus and why, why value add apartments in particular? Yeah. So 
Josh, I think we all get into real estate for that that elusive residual income and the passive income and the idea of that mailbox money, you know? And so when I first got started in real estate, um, back in 2007, I worked for a commercial real estate agency in New York city. And I brokered this lease of this landlord. It was 400 square feet. And the guy signed a lease for $10,000 a month around 12 month term with 4% annual escalations. And so when you do the math on that, it's, it's like $2 million that this landlord's making for doing something at one point in time. And I realized then that I was on the wrong side of the coin. I need to be owning real estate versus brokering real estate. So um, I always wanted to get into that, that, that residual, that passive income. And that's what really led me into real estate in the first place. And, um, but I think we, a lot of us getting caught in this trans transactional mode of flipping another house, wholesaling another house. And, um, was finally able to kind of step out of that and just focus on building my portfolio the way that I've uh, structured my business. So yeah, it's been, um, uh, that's probably the, the main thing is that residual income and, and passive income that led me into commercial and the, the scalability of it. I like that um, it's easier to manage and operate and uh, um, contract one apartment building that's 50 units versus 50 houses. And so you got to negotiate with 50 different sellers if you're doing 50 houses versus one seller with an apartment building. You got, uh, you know, 200 walls instead of four walls with an apartment building. You have uh, 50 roofs versus uh, one roof with an apartment building. So, you know, the scalability of it and having to go to one place to manage 50 tenants versus having to drive all around town. Um, I saw from a business perspective, it gave us a little bit more leverage and scale um, in that regard. So yeah, that was um, the, probably the major reasons I got into apartments. Nice. What, was the, what was the second part of your question? The second part was just the value add. Yeah. Why value add? So I mean, just like residential and I've come from the residential realm and you would never pay retail for anything right in the residential realm because there's no juice in the squeeze on that. So for me, when I transitioned over to multifamily and apartment buildings, it was a very natural transition. Just look for value add apartment buildings. Where are the distressed sellers? The, the, you know, instead of looking for houses with tall grass, I started looking for apartment buildings with tall grass. And um, I found those distressed properties or the distressed management that was in place and was able to negotiate good deals because I want to buy at a wholesale price. And then, you know, put the value add, put the, make the improvements to the property to force the appreciation <clears throat> and create that sweat equity. And what that allows me to do is then refinance the property. I don't, I don't flip apartment buildings. I refinance apartment buildings. So that way, you know, it, just like residential, you teach your, your students to be all in at 65% of the after repair value. I do the exact same thing with commercial. And so I want to be 65% of the after repair value. So if a building's worth $10 million, stabilized value or after repair value, I want to be all in for six and a half million. The bank will give me an 80% loan to value loan, which means they'll give me $8 million on that deal, which allows me to then pay off the short-term construction loan and my private investors on the six and a half million. And then it also leaves a spread of $1.5 million of loan proceeds, which are non-taxable, um, another benefit of, of owning rental property um, that then we can distribute to our investors, our joint venture partners and, and my team. So there's just, there's a lot more that you can do with it and a lot of creative um, things in order to get paid on this stuff. Nice. Nice. So when you think about Tim, the transition from residential to where you're at, you said you were bad at real estate for seven years, got really good the last three years what's maybe one or two things that kind of made the difference? What, 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 are, what did you see when you made that pivot, that switch 
three years ago and things actually started to work really well, got really good at it, and you've become so successful really in the last three years or so, is can you, can you put your finger on one or two things that were so important to that uh, transition? Yeah, so I think the first thing was realizing that commercial real estate is not as complicated as everybody thinks it is. I remember early on, I thought I needed a degree from Wharton School of Business in order to get involved in real estate, or I needed to come from generational, you know, my grandpa had to own a bunch of apartment buildings in order for me to get involved in apartment buildings. It's not the case whatsoever. It's just like residential. If you can understand a a profit and loss statement or an income statement of, hey, the property brings in this much, the expenses are this much, and it leaves you with a net operating income of this much. That's how properties are valued in the commercial realm. So you just take a multiple of it and it's pretty simple and very predictable of what the after repair value is going to be in these apartment buildings. So getting out of my own head and realizing that it's not as complicated or complex as um, a lot of us you know, uh, paint a picture in our mind and just getting past that was a big piece of it. And, um, and then the other thing is we're talking about big deals now. So it's hard to bring in a lot of joint venture partners and people on a $200,000 flip that only has maybe $30,000, $40,000 of profit built into it. Um, maybe too many hands in the cookie jar and not everybody gets paid on something like that. But when you're talking about an apartment building that has three or $4 million of equity built into it, now you can partner up with people who are specialized and have certain unique abilities that maybe uh, balance out uh, your strengths and your weaknesses. So I can focus on what I'm really good at, which is maybe finding deals or raising capital. And I can bring in a phenomenal operator. I can bring in a phenomenal property management company. Um, I can bring in uh, lenders and I can, I can carve up the deal where there's a lot more juice in the squeeze. And instead of having to keep 100% of a grape, now I can have 25 or 50% of a watermelon that has a lot more juice in the squeeze. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I like that piece where I can focus on the things that I'm good at and I can, you know, cover my, my, uh, my weak points with people who are really good at those, at those, uh, tasks. Yeah. Yeah. Having 25% of a $10 million asset, uh, you know, might be like, Oh, well, it's only 25%, but it's two and a half million bucks. Exactly. Moves the needle versus 100% of a you know, $250,000 rehab. Yep. Uh, and so we do both, we fund both, you know, apartments are exciting. And, uh, you know, we're, we're jumped in and, and, and starting to fund more and more Tim's stuff and bringing in private investors and partners to do that because they see the same opportunity. Um, so Tim, we've talked a lot about, and you've already mentioned a couple of them, but there's typically four income streams for an investor a, a, a private passive investor, there's kind of four income streams in a value add apartment that makes these really, really sexy. So why don't you just quickly just zip through those four income streams because we've got a lot of passive investors that they don't want to be an operator. They've just got a half a million bucks in their 401k or a million bucks in their pension, $200,000 laying around, and they're looking for some place to put it. And these value add apartments really is a really sexy place to consider parking some money. So tell us about the four income streams. Yeah, so I, I lend money also. And uh, one of the things that I've done is like put myself in the lender's shoes. And I found that lenders, uh, private investors in projects, they really want two things. One is they want predictable return on investment. And then the other thing is they still want a piece of the action. You know, we're entrepreneurs. Naturally, we want a piece of the equity in the deal too. And so that's the way that I've kind of just figured out how to structure my loans um, to, to take, a, take care of uh, our, our private investors. So 
Uh, when our investors, I'll give you an example on, on a, you know, let's say on that, on that, this is a, a fairy tale example, but it's, it's very uh, congruent with what a similar deal would look like. So let's take a $10 million after repair value deal. We're all into this thing for six and a half million. That means we probably raised about 1.5 million of it from private equity for private investors. So on that 1.5 million, our investors, let's assume it's all from one person, but we can carve it up through 15 people at hundred grand too. But let's assume it's one person. On that 1.5 million down payment, um, that would come from private investors. And then the other $5 million would come from a bank or some, some other financing institution. While the money's in play, which is usually 12 to 24 months, it takes us to turn around one of these properties, stabilize it, and then refinance it. We pay a 10% fixed return on investment, regardless of the property's performance. So our investors make 10% on their money. It's predictable from the day that they invest, 30 days later, they're getting their first check and it's hitting their mailbox every single 30 days. We actually ACH, so it's hitting the bank account. <clears throat> they're completely passive. Then once the property's repaired, improved, stabilized, all rented out, and we can go and refinance with long-term debt, then uh, we do that. Let's say it's a, let's, let's just say it's 12 months to keep numbers simple. We pay the investor back all their money. When we go to refinance, we take out 8 million bucks. Make sense? So now the investor gets back their 1.5 million and we pay off the short-term bank loan of 5 million and we have a long-term loan in place of $8 million. Now there's a spread there of 1.5 million. Uh, the second way that our investors get paid, first way was the fixed return. The second way that they get paid is from refinance proceeds. So our investors usually have about 10% equity in one of our projects. So 10% of that um, $1.5 million would go back to the investors and that's tax-free money. So now they made 10% on their money while it was in play. So they made about 150 grand for 12 months. Then we refinance, they get another $150,000, 10% of the 1.5, which is tax-free. So really now their internal rate of return is closer to 20% ROI. And they have all their money off the table. They've been paid back in full. And then they still maintain 10% of all the cash flow in perpetuity. So on that project, it's probably about a, I don't know, probably 200 unit um, apartment building. We cash flow around around $20,000 a month on something like that. So they get a check for $2,000 a month for the rest of their life, as long as we own this apartment building. And there's still $2 million of equity built in. So our loan amounts, 8 million, properties worth 10 million. Their, their uh, percentage of their 10% equity is, uh, is worth $200,000. So it actually increases their balance sheet. It increases their net income, their net worth by 200 grand. So that's the four pieces. One is the fixed return of 10% then they get all their money back. Then they also get 10% um, of the refinance proceeds, 10% of the cash flow, and 10% of any future sales proceeds from equity in the deal. So it works out really well for us. It works out really well for the investor. And it breeds a lot of loyalty. Like when we pay back one of our investors, you know what the first thing is that they say to us? Where's the next one? You know, let's roll into another deal. And so the idea is the velocity that we can turn over their money we can get them involved in maybe like five to seven deals over the next 10 years. And then they have all their money off the table. And then they have seven different little annuities that are paying them a monthly fee every single month. And then they're getting hit with these big pops of refinance proceeds and sales proceeds um, that could be tens of thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of dollars 
whenever we refinance a property again or sell the property. So it's, um, it's an awesome way that our investors really appreciate. And, um, and we love it because we're in this thing for the long haul and we want to build long-term relationships. So it breeds a lot of that loyalty where we can keep on doing more and more deals with our investors. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Love it. And like I said, we, we placing this equity with Tim again, this is just a full disclosure. This is not a solicitation. Uh, we know the <laughs> exchange commission rules. Tim and I are not soliciting money on this call, but we're trying to educate our listeners on the way that Tim structures his deals so that you can go out and structure them the same way for yourself. Yeah. Um, that's, and it's, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity, both as an operator and or as a private lender to do these types of value add apartments. Now, Tim, how is this different than syndication in an apartment? A lot of guys are out there buying apartments. They're essentially paying full price for apartments. The cap rates are really low and they're doing this thing called syndication. So kind of explain just for a quick sec, the difference between what you're doing with value add and these other apartment strategies that are kind of out there. Yes. Yeah, so traditional syndication, um, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the world of traditional syndication because it's so skewed. Uh, in traditional syndication, the, the operator, whoever's doing all the heavy lifting and all the work and finding the deal and raising the money and all that stuff, uh, typically only gets about maybe 30% of the deal. It's, and it ranges 20 to 30% of the deal. But they also get paid an acquisition fee at the time of, uh, of acquisition. And they also get paid an asset management fee uh, regardless of the property's performance. So the investors put up all the money and they usually get 70 to 80% of that deal, which sounds good on paper. The issue is they only get paid if the property's performing. So if the property's not performing, they see zero money, zero return on their investment. I know some operators who are traditional syndicators that their investors make no money until the property's sold five years down the road or seven years down the road, or even 10 years down the road. And so uh, it, it's not very congruent. Um, it, what I don't like about it is that the operator gets paid regardless of the property's performance and the investor gets paid irregardless of the property or doesn't get paid um, if the property's not performing, only if the property's performing. So it's, it's incongruent. The way that I've structured my deals, I feel like is like, I don't take an acquisition fee. I don't take an asset management fee. My entire, the only way that I make money is if we get to the refinance stage and my investors get all their money back, then I get paid my percentage of the refi proceeds and cash flow moving forward. So I feel like the way that I structure it is more now, now we're in the same car going down the road in the same direction. We're sitting on the same side of the table versus against, you know, across the table from each other. So, so, and the other thing is if, if the investor does start getting paid immediately because the property is performing, it's typically because they bought a stabilized property at a retail price, which means they're paying $10 million for a $10 million building. And even if you have 80% equity of a deal that has zero equity in it, doesn't mean anything. You know, my investors who have 10% equity in a deal with three and a half million dollars uh, of of equity in the deal, that's worth $350,000. So although it's less percentage, it's worth way more than if you go through a traditional syndicator that's buying market rate properties at retail prices and your money's got to sit there usually for five to 10 years. So you don't get the velocity on your money either if you're an investor. And, um, you know, I, I think the way that we've done it because we're able to find great deals, it makes a lot more sense. Um, now, if you're going out and you're, and you're buying stabilized deals and 
and uh, that's what you want. You got crazy hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in your bank account. You just need to put it in play. Then yeah, stabilized deals make sense through traditional syndication. But if you you want velocity on your money, you want a fixed rate of return, a predictable return, plus equity in five, seven different deals, then I think the way that I structure deals is a little is a, is a lot better for those value add type plays. Sure. So um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff, Tim. So let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. Um, you know, we, you and I have had a lot of success in real estate. We've gone kind of two different paths. We both started in residential flipping. Re- you went apartments. I went with a fund. Uh, they're both sort of income plays, right? Uh, but we both started and we kind of both caught the real estate bug in different ways. So for you, Tim, go back to when you caught the bug. Was it that story you told earlier when you were in you know, New York and you saw this guy making this $2 million lease agreement? Uh, you know, where was it where you thought, you know, man, I really got to look at this real estate investing opportunity. I really got to you know, get involved somehow, whether it was something you were running away from, maybe it was you know, not making enough money, or it was like something you were running to, where you thought, man, there's so much upside here. I've got to get into real estate. Do you remember the moment or the time when you said, man, I've got to go for this? Yeah, I, I, I do remember. Um, I was going through college 03 to 07. So I'm 33 years old now. And um, 03 to 07, market was going gangbusters. Everybody's making money. Your hairdresser's making money. Your waiter's making money. Like everybody's making money in real estate regardless. And so uh, what motivated a 21-year-old kid back then was making money. And so I... Um, I remember, you know, I interned for one of these big home builders and I remember sitting in one of the, you know, weekly meetings and all of a sudden, this is between my uh, uh, junior and senior year of college. So 2000, summer 2006. And uh, I remember they, they, the VP comes in with like $3,000 of $100 bills, you know, and just like, hey, somebody give me a good idea. And if you just raise your hand and said anything, he started handing out $100 bills to people. I'm like, what the hell? Like something crazy. There must be insane amounts of money or the market's going crazy or whatever. Right. That's exactly what it was like. And I was like, holy cow. So that's what motivated me to get involved in real estate. And um, really, you know, what motivated me to become an investor was seeing that landlord in, in Manhattan making $10,000 a month off of that one retail space. He had seven other retail spaces in the same building and 15 stories of apartments above it. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, that's, that's where the real wealth is built. You know, and then you start educating yourself and you read books like rich dad, poor dad, and, um, the richest man in Babylon and things like that. And you see the different opportunities that wealth has created. And I I feel, uh, you know, wealth has always been measured since the dawn of civilization in land ownership, you know, like that's, that's always been the wealthiest people, more millionaires made in real estate than any other industry. And all the people who make money in other industries all put their money into real estate, you know? So I knew that there was something in real estate that, uh, that made sense from a built wealth building perspective. And so, yeah, I mean, it was money that motivated me back then. And, uh, you know, it's funny though, like you get to a certain point and now all of a sudden it's like, who can I help? Like, who can I help bring with me and change their financial future? Like once you get to a certain point and all your basic needs are met, it's, um, it's cool. And you're doing it, man. You're, you're educating a lot of people and letting them know what uh, other opportunities are available and making a big difference for a lot of people who couldn't get a fixed return on their investment by, um, offering your fund and different opportunities. So, um, you know, like that's, that's the stuff that feeds the soul and that's more the the driving component for me today. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So you started to touch on it now about, you know, feeding the soul and giving back. 
what are your sort of objectives, your big hairy goals for the next, you know, three and five and 10 years? Like, what does that look like for you? Obviously going from 1200 units to 2400 units, that's amazing. A lot of people couldn't even think like, oh my God, 2400 units sounds massive. And Tim's only 33 years old. Um, but 10 years from now, right? A lot of people underestimate what they can really accomplish long-term. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like for you? Where do you, where, what, what kind of path are you on? Yeah, I, I heard an awesome quote was, uh, everybody overestimates what they can accomplish in 12 months, but they grossly underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And, uh, you know, you stay on a path, you stay on a trajectory. If you don't ask me, you know, 10 years ago, would I be where I am today? I would have said, I, I hope, you know, but would I, did I actually believe it? Probably not. Um, so yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at different opportunities now and, you know, I think there's an achievement piece in, in us entrepreneurs of like, how big can I grow it and how big can I build it? And, um, it's less about money and more about just like achievement and pushing the envelope and, and, uh, reaching for the stars kind of a thing. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to build a portfolio, um, to a billion dollars. That's, that's the short term goal in the next like 48 months. I'll be at about 200 to $250 million of assets, um, by, by the summertime. And so I I'm very confident I can get there in the next 48 months, especially if a market shift happens and I can come in and start buying stuff on for pennies on the dollar. Um, I think there's an opportunity, but there's an opportunity right now with financing. Financing is very easy to come by right now. You can start getting into apartment buildings and get some very um, favorable financing terms. So I'm going to get there regardless of a market shift or not, but um, yeah, get, get a billion dollar portfolio built up. What do I do with it then? Maybe, maybe then I hang on to it. Maybe I hang out over cash flow. Maybe I take it public with a with a real estate trust, something like that. Um, and then, and then maybe one day I can be in your shoes, Josh, and open up my own bank. There you go. That's what everybody wants to be, right? Is a banker <laughs> lending out money, lending out other people's money. I, I, I like the personal development side a lot too. I like helping people see themselves as more than what they can see themselves as. You know, um, giving them that leverage. You know breathing some inspiration into them on helping them, uh, be more, do more, have more, give more. And, um, I really like that piece a lot too. I had a couple young kids that, that, you know, you know, Penelope's three years old and Hudson's one year old. Um, you know, so I like the personal development, uh, you know, for, for kids and educating them on, on how to think, um, achievement oriented or entrepreneurial oriented, um, and just, you know, helping people realize that there's more out there than going to work in a nine to five and um, trading your time for money and building somebody else's bank account versus versus your own. So um, it, it would probably be something once I get to, you know, build up my portfolio to a certain level, I, I really like doing the coaching stuff and I really like doing the, um, the personal development side of things too. Yeah, nice. Um, so Tim, like, you know, you're still really young, right? Got a lot of time, 33, you know, newly married, a couple of young kids, but we've learned a lot in the past 10 years. Obviously we've been through a massive market shift in 2007, 2008, uh, learned a lot through that period. And then now the market's gone crazy for the last couple of years. There's a market shift coming in the next uh, six months to two years, sooner rather than later, most likely interest rates are going up. The market, you know, hard to prove that the market would continue to appreciate at the rate it's been going. Mm -hmm. So there's probably things you've learned. And my question for you is, 
what kind of piece of advice would you give your younger former self, especially after that comment kind of resonates? You know, I wasn't very good at real estate for seven years and I've been really good after the last three. What's maybe the one or two pieces of advice that you would give your younger former self, whether it's in finance or real estate relationships, uh, you know, joint ventures, networking, it doesn't necessarily have to be in real estate, but what's one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners that you would probably give to yourself, something you maybe do differently? I'm going to give you probably three or four. Um, one is don't invest for speculative real estate, invest for cash flow. The guys that I know who made a bunch of money and then fell on their ass in 2008, 2009 were the ones who bought for speculation. They bought here, the price would go up to here, and it didn't. And when that all, when it actually went down, they had, you know, all their net worth was fugazi, fugazi, fairy tale dust, you know what I mean? And so uh, they weren't worth anything once the market shifted. But the guys that I knew who invested for cash flow, not, not as sexy, longer term play, but when they bought for cash flow, they had tenants in place who were paying their bills every single month, regardless of what happened to the property values. And they were always able to cover their expenses, their debt service, and put money in their pocket. So one would be invest for cash flow. Um, two would be develop a skill set in real estate. And I think everything in real estate boils down to two things, finding great deals and finding money. If you can develop those two skill sets, um, doesn't matter what the economy looks like. Right now, the skill set is you need to find good deals. It's easy to find good money. Five years ago, and probably five years from now, it'll be really easy to find good deals, very hard to find money. So if you can, regardless of what's going on with the market cycles and the economy, if you can develop those two skill sets, finding money and finding deals, you're going to be good regardless of what the market looks like. And, um, and then number three would be join a mastermind. So like, I know you have a mastermind. Um, I, I, the day that I went to a mastermind, um, it was three and a half years ago. And that was the catalyst of what was, what put me on the trajectory to where I am today. And what you'll find in business dude is, uh, and you know, this better than anybody's as you reach different levels in business and success, there's different levels of problems. There's different levels of issues. There's different levels of hurdles that you're going to face that you're gonna to need to work through. And by being in a mastermind that meets on a quarterly basis, as you hit those different hurdles, you're gonna be able to sit across from somebody who's like, dude, I went through that a year and a half ago. Here's what I did. Here's what I, I, I wish I didn't do. And you're gonna be able to push through some of those hurdles and put yourself uh, on a path to get there in a fraction of the amount of time that it maybe took other people to get there because you're surrounding yourself with brilliant brain power and, and wisdom that's in the room. So one would be invest for cash flow. Two would be get really good at finding deals and finding money. Three would be join a mastermind. That's great. Great advice, Tim. Appreciate that, man. Especially, you know, real world stuff, stuff that you've really been through. Um, and so, you know, what's, what's always interesting uh, is, you know, talking about with, with experienced guys like you and a lot of other people that I've interviewed and coached is everybody has that one crazy deal. So I'm always interested to hear from all of my guests, what's that one crazy deal <laughs> that you worked on that either maybe you bought that you shouldn't have or that you didn't buy that you're glad you didn't buy or, or something that happened in a deal. Like I was in a deal about eight, nine years ago, found out. Uh, this is a deal in Shaker Heights. It was a short sale that we bought. And uh, about a month after we bought, we bought the property from a realtor. 
And we never got the disclosure documents because it was already distressed and she was already in foreclosure. We negotiated with the bank, we bought it. A month later, she sends over the disclosure documents telling us that there was a double homicide <laughs> in the property. And crazy story, a young man who was, had some mental uh, health issues actually killed his parents and put them in the closet uh, for like a week before they were found. And then wow. we got this disclosure and everybody in the neighborhood knew that this had happened except for dummy us who bought, bought the property. And the second thing was the house on the wrong side of the tracks. Did you know Shaker Heights has the railroad tracks that go through it, right? Well, literally the wrong side of the tracks, literally the wrong side of the track, like the East side of Shaker Heights going, you know, more East towards the really ritzy area, yep. very expensive. The West side's closer to East Cleveland and Cleveland the not so ritzy area. We didn't know that. So we misguessed on or miss comped, I should say, uh, uh, the property by a hundred grand. Ooh. We thought it was a 350 property. We ended up selling it for 250 and we got murdered on it. We, we lost, uh, we lost 80,000 bucks. So I'll never forget that one. Cause literally the wrong side of the tracks Two because literally a double homicide craziest deal I've ever done. How about you? Um, Oh man. Uh, Unfortunately, I've had a lot of uh, overdoses and homicides, suicides, uh, just you know, general deaths in properties. Um, I, fr from a deal standpoint, though, I think that one of the craziest things I ever went through. I was closing a, a portfolio of 700 units earlier this year, and good buddy of mine sold, uh, real good buddy. He's, he's in, sold his cabinet company his e-commerce cabinet company and uh, would ship in cabinets from China and then sell it to investors. And he uh, uh, invested like $2 million in deals with me pretty easily in early 2018, earlier part of this year. And then uh, uh, I contracted the 700 unit portfolio down in Georgia and I call him up. I'm like, Hey dude, you want in on this? Uh, I, or do you know anybody who'd be interested in this? And um, I, I got to raise, I think it was like $4 million. And so he's like, let me, let me hit you back. 30 minutes later, he goes, I'm in. I said, cool, man. How, how much? He goes, I got all of it. $4 million. I was like, awesome. This is 90 days out. Easiest $4 million ever raised. Right. I should have known better. It was, I was alluding to something. And, uh, so I, what I didn't realize, I'm, dude, I'm twiddling my thumbs for the next 90 days until, until closing occurs. And uh, like a week or two before closing, I hit him up. I'm like, Hey man, just a heads up. Here's the wiring instructions. Here's, we're going to be closing, you know, uh, in two weeks, here's the wire instructions and just, you know, make sure you get it over there by this date. And he texts me back. He's like, Hey man, I don't have all of it, but I, I will, don't worry. And so uh, I'm like, what do you mean you don't have all of it? He goes, well, you know, I'm raising money through a cryptocurrency from some African pension funds and, and, uh, um, Royal families. And I was like, dude, are you're telling me that you have a Nigerian prince financing my, my, <laughs> my apartment? I was like, what happened? He's like, nah, you know. So anyways, he, he legitimately does is a good friend of mine. He's, he's launching it, but the legalities and everything took a lot longer, like six months, eight months longer than he actually thought. So long story short, he wasn't able to raise the money and told me the Friday before our Monday closing that he couldn't come up with any of it. Um, now he initially gave me about 500 grand. So that, that's what covered the earnest money deposit and some due diligence and stuff. Uh, but I needed to raise about $4 million over the course of a weekend. And so I, I, um, you know, when somebody tells you that and you're like, holy shit, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, 
over the next 48 hours because the deal's gonna, gonna fall apart. Like my options were walk away and lose $300,000 of earnest money, uh, ask for an extension, but then I lose face with the broker. I lose face with the mortgage broker. I lose face with the seller. The reason we got the deal for millions of dollars less than anybody else is because we postured up and said we were going to close this thing on time. And, um, you know, it just would have, it would have reflected really poorly on us uh, with our lender, with our mortgage broker, with the real estate broker, with the seller. And so uh, my other option was just roll up my sleeves and get to work. And, you know, it was a little bit of woe is me and what am I going to do? And then I'm like, dude, if, you know, first of all, my kids are healthy. My kids are happy. You know, my wife's happy. We got a roof over our, our head. We got food on the table. Like we have working electricity and indoor plumbing. Like there's people who have to walk four miles one direction with a friggin' bucket on their head in order to, you know, give their family water. And so when you put it in that kind of perspective, you realize like if my biggest problem is raising $4 million in order to make $15 million on this deal, like not a, not a bad problem. So I got into more of a resourceful mindset, you know, put all the docs together, put it in a Google, uh, uh, Google drive, Dropbox folder. And I just got on the phone and started banging out phone calls to all my different, uh, friends, investors, people I've done deals with and, um, really stirred the pot, uh, with a lot of, uh, different investors and stuff. And there were some people who were like, dude, I, I would totally be in. I just not good timing. I don't, I, I need to liquidate some stuff or whatever. Um, so it actually developed some really good relationships for future deals. And uh, I actually was able to raise $4 million from six different investors, anywhere from 200 grand up to $1.5 million. We closed on time on that Monday. Um, it was an absolute whirlwind, but it was a ton of fun. And um, it was, you know, it went from the easiest 4 million I ever raised to the hardest 4 million I ever raised, but you learned so much in that whole process. And again, it, it, planted seeds with so many people I wouldn't have naturally, I wouldn't have, you know, reached out to because I just had easy money. So now it planted seeds with a bunch of different investors. And, um, and I have a lot of, a lot of access to capital for future deals because of it. So it was a real blessing in disguise, but it was, um, it was definitely threw me for a, a tailspin when it all went down a couple months ago. That's probably the freshest memory yeah. of crazy right. deal. All crazy. That's great, man. Well, awesome. Tim, look, as we're uh, kind of rounding third here and heading home, um, just wanted to say thanks, man. I know you're busy. I know you just got back from, from Mexico and Cancun at your mastermind. So thanks for carving out some time for us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Dude, thank you so much for having me, Josh. Appreciate everything. Appreciate all the value you're putting out there. I appreciate our friendship and look forward to doing some more deals together too, man. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Listen, so a couple things, a couple resources. I want to I connect you guys with Tim. Uh, a couple of resources before we kind of wrap up. So, you know, this interview will be available on iTunes. It'll be available on YouTube. If you have any comments, questions for Tim or myself, just leave the comments right beneath the video, right beneath the podcast. Uh, my team will be you know, monitoring those platforms, grab the questions, feed them back to me, feed them back to Tim. We'll try to get answers for you. Um, as Tim mentioned, you know, he's, he's doing all these deals. We're participating in a number of these deals with Tim. He has either a lender or an equity investor. If you've got deal flow for apartments or deal flow for residential and you just need some ideas for funding, you can definitely hit us up at freelandlending.com. Uh, check out our website, send us that stuff. If it's an apartment, I'll, I'll probably introduce you to Tim. Uh, he's an expert at kind of structuring those things up. Uh, so check out freelandlending.com. Uh, also, Tim is going to be a speaker for us at a number of our different live events. I have them on webinars, Facebook Lives. 
you know, our flipping fun summits that we do. Uh, Tim is a regular recurring speaker at a lot of the different things that we do. I've been invited to speak at Tim's events. So we just do a lot of stuff together. So if you're interested in looking at our live events, check out flippinfund.com. We've got an event coming up in a couple of weeks. Tim will be there to talk and elaborate more on his apartment strategy. Uh, also, Tim, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, get your contact information or just look you up or bring you a deal flow or, you know, be a private investor for you. Uh, is there a website or an email that you could uh, give to our members so they can reach out to you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty active on social media. Hit me up on Facebook, Tim Bratz. You guys will see my, uh, my name on there. Um, and then, yeah, obviously any money, yeah, any investors should go through you, Josh. And if anybody has deal flow and they're trying to uh, move some deals, um, don't, we, don't we have a, a website put together for that too? Uh, like the AI investments or AI. Um, uh, I think we have an apartment website for any deal flow that comes through um, some of your contacts too, that we can partner up on. This like two months ago and I forgot the. I forgot the <laughs> well, that's all right. We'll, we'll put it in the links below. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. If you got deal flow, if you got money, like if there's anything that any way that we can partner up and work together on some stuff, you know, I, I know, I know we're both big believers that rising tide floats all boats and, uh, uh, being able to partner up with different people. Sometimes, you know, the, the sum of the parts, the sum of the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? One plus one equals three, you know? Um, so yeah, if there's ways that we can partner up, but otherwise, yeah, hit me up on Facebook. And if you guys have like, I don't know, general inquiries or something, uh, my email is brats at cleturnkey.com. So um, happy to respond. I respond to my own emails. So if there's any insight or value that I can uh, try to provide, I'm happy to do so. Appreciate it again, bud. Fantastic. Absolutely, Tim. Yeah, and if anybody has any additional questions for me and my team, uh, or you're looking for any kind of hand-holding mentorship, you can always check that out at joshcantwallcoaching.com. Finally, uh, if you enjoyed the interview, uh, make sure you leave us a rating and a review. Tell us how we did, good, bad, or ugly. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. If you didn't, still give us a five-star rating. Uh, <laughs> and leave us, uh, leave us a review and uh, put your questions right there in the chat box. So, uh, Tim, thanks again for carving out a few minutes for us. Absolutely, and, uh, man. Thanks for having me. Sure. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Take care. All right, brother. I'll see you. You're just listening to Strategic Real Estate Coach Radio, hosted by Josh Cantwell and Kyle Gariffo. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next, who you would like us to interview, or if you just want to share some of your success stories in real estate. And maybe we'll talk about it on our next show. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure you subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Josh Cantwell and Strategic Real Estate Coach on Facebook and Twitter. Check out all our awesome free training videos at youtube.com forward slash SREC video. If you want to find out 55 simple and powerful ways to find killer real estate investments, go to 55simpleways.com forward slash podcast right now to download our free report and get a ton of free resources on finding properties and funding properties. And stay up to date on what's happening right now in the real estate industry. That's 55simpleways.com forward slash podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening.